freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> All right, rolling along, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com. Brock, tomorrow is the day the Seahawks report. Do they get after it? Exciting. They have a, a new deal done with Chenonuosu as of yesterday. He signs basically a $15 million a year deal. It could be worth even more than that, depending on how he plays, et cetera. Worth it? Good deal for Chenna? How did you, how did you get to that? I, was just, I, was I saw curious. three years, 45. Oh, you did? Okay, so it's 32 mil. And then I divided 45 by 3. Well, you did. Well, that's dangerous. I know it's dangerous, but I did it before the show, so I think I'm safe. Good. Yeah, I mean, these numbers are always a little funny, right? They don't mean anything. They don't, but the 32 million means something. The extension means something because that's the way the Seahawks have always done business. That's To me, that was the good news. Like, okay, kind of like in their heyday when they were able to extend all the guys. When did they always do that? They didn't wait till after the deal was done. They were always able to roll it into the final year of the deal, and he was going into a final year because he signed just a two-year deal originally, but he loved it so much. And, you know, nine and a half sacks, seven and oh, by the way, when he even had half a sack last year, a guy that totally loves ball, and it makes an immense amount of sense. And, oh, by the way, as we know, with these deals, frees up some cap space. So instead of his ten and a half million dollar number, you know, this year, whatever it was going to be, uh, they're able to, to spread it out over the extension. And a guy that wanted to be here, a guy that absolutely loves ball, and a guy that they lock in for the long term. And and I, yeah, absolutely love that move. Probably He's, should have seen that one coming, to be honest with you. Yeah, just based on how much they like him and and the position, et cetera. Here's my question, and I, and I don't and I don't say this in a leading way. I honestly mean it. Is he worth that money? Is he a good enough player to be worthy of that kind of extension? Can he be the top outside edge rusher on a playoff Super Bowl team? I think because of his versatility, it is a yes. Because he can be an edge rusher, because he can stop the run, he can set an edge. Um, Because of all of the things that he can do, yes. And that quote-unquote, that money... Quote unquote, that money is going to be changing in the years ahead as this cap just continues and continues to grow. So I think when you can get kind of like Tyler Lockett's deal, this, this kind of reminds me of, of Tyler's extension. Tyler got good money. He didn't get the very top money, mm-hmm. but he got really good money and he knew what he had here and he loved it here and he wanted to be a part of it here. And I think Nuosu did as well. And that money and those numbers are going to change. Not Saudi Arabia change, but they're going to change. They're going to change pretty dramatically. Did you see the, the tweet I sent you yesterday? How about that? Did you see Amora, LeBron James yeah. saying, "Hey, that's me." What was it? The uh, the Forrest, uh, Forrest Gump. Gump gif of him sprinting that's me as soon as the uh, saudis call Matt Carter and yes. offer me a one year deal over a billion dollars. Yeah. See ya. Yeah, just, I, just wait, man. Just wait. I think it, what did they offer that guy seven hundred and they offered him a billion dollars. Yeah, between the exchange yeah. fee and, and his own salary, it's yeah. a billion dollars for That's one year. Just nuts. and you don't think they could come after the NBA? They absolutely no. could. So what you're saying, if I understand it, and I'm pretty sure I agree with you, by the way, is that Chenna's value is in his versatility. And while he may not be a sack master, nine and a half sacks is nothing to sneeze at, but he's Mm -hmm. not one of the premier pass rushers in the game. 
he does enough things very well yes. that it's worth that kind of money. Yes, I think all of that is uh, is very well said. Kind of like a baseball player that you, that you pay good money to that takes advantage of bad pitchers. He takes advantage of bad tackles. Now, when you match up against Trent Williams and the best of the best in the league, is he going to be able to, to beat them? Eh, probably not. Probably not consistently. But he should be a double-digit sack guy for you. And and because of that versatility, and you want to play some of this 3-4, you want to play some of this 4-3, you want to be able to stop the run, you want to be able to set the edge, you want to do all of these things, he's capable of doing that. But what I love about it, Salk, is on the precipice of camp starting, what this sends to that locker room as well. We take care of you, right? And, and we, we will reward those that produce. And we're, we don't go on the cheap. We don't take, try to take advantage of you, even though the league in many ways is set up so you know, pro-employer as far as these contracts. But you do your job well, and you get it done. You get paid here. And I think that that is a, a, a big positive, as I said, is today those players report for their physicals and be on the field tomorrow. Yeah, it, it got a texture here, uh, 509, says, did the Seahawks just decide who they're keeping between Taylor and Nuosu? I mean, in some ways, the answer to that is an obvious yes, they're keeping Nuosu. But I don't know if that's the real choice. To me, it's more of a taylor Mafe conversation, right? I mean, they've drafted a guy in the second round in three straight years mm-hmm. to play that outside linebacker defensive end spot. And I, I felt like Nuosu was always kind of going to be here. He's the one who's been starting the question on Taylor. And maybe this is sort of a wake up call to all of those guys of like, hey, one of these spots is set. Who's going to compete for the other one? Just as much as they take care of the guys who succeed, they still want competition and everybody else. Yes. Yep. I think that is totally fair. And for Taylor, remember, they're not the same year. He is not an unrestricted, totally unrestricted free agent after the season because of an injury. His contract told another year, so he would become an exclusive right, so they'd be able to put kind of a, a tag on him, and not a, a franchise tag, but a, a tender to him and have his rights for another year. So for Daryl Taylor, and actually to me is Daryl looking at it going, good, good, I'm glad he got his money, man. He deserves his money. He's, he's been a pro in this league. He's been a contributor. He had an excellent year last year. And if I go out and I do what I'm capable of doing and I add on my sack total and I become a 15-sack guy, down the road, that bag of money is here in Seattle, and they've shown that over the years. What were the chances, Brock? What were the chances that Colton Wong was going to hit a home run last night with two outs in the ninth? Yeah. What were the chances? Well, you know who he who he joined in doing so in the ninth inning or later in a Mariners game. There's only been two others before with a Cal go-ahead. Raleigh was one of them, right? Uh, Pinch hit? Uh, no, no, behind go Oh, different one, sorry. Yeah, yep, a little, little different one. Okay. One of my favorites and, and uh, Justin's favorite player in the history of the Mariners. So uh, Ken Griffey Jr., one of them. And then my guy, Adam Lind, back in 2016. <laughs> Against the Orioles? I kind of remember that. Like, I think he had, like, cut off sleeves that day or something. Like, it was just <laughs> – it was it was gritty, and it was about as just unannounced and um, – Surprising as Mr. Wong's was last night. That, nothing. No, it was not as surprising as Colton Wong's. Adam Lynn was at least a power hitter. Colton <laughs> Wong looked like he took every ounce of his body, every ang- every bit of anger he's had this year and frustration, and put all of it into one swing. And he clobbered it, man. He yeah. put it out of the park, and then they found a way to lose the game. Very, very disappointing once again last night. Can't team just, Colton just have one night where I know, he's a hero? Right? I mean, can't he just be bathed in applause, showered with love and affirmation for one night? No. 
He got it for, for about 10, 10 minutes before Taylor Trammell <laughs> couldn't come up with a ball in left field. Munoz gives oh. it up, and then Seawald, unfortunately, couldn't get it done in the 10th. So, uh, frustrating loss. So, that's where the Mariners are at. We'll come back to them here and need to know in a couple of minutes. Seahawks open up tomorrow. Training camp. Congratulations to Chen and Uosu. Uh, I think I agree with what you said, Brock. It seems like a pretty safe, good deal for the Seahawks who move forward with a guy now set on the edge uh, and who can set the edge, which is uh, kind of what they need. We were talking a while uh, earlier today about the 3-4 versus the 4-3. A lot of passion. Wow. A lot of passion on the whole 3-4-4-3. Very three intense. Thing. Yeah. Very intense. I just keep coming back to the same thing, man. I, I don't really care what you run, but I don't understand this. Oh, we can't find anybody who fits the scheme defensively in the defensive line. Well, then have a different scheme. <laughs> like, what? Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever you run, play it to your player's strengths. Right. Find what you can, what, what you can do, and, and what then you have. Pete would be here and be like, "Ah, it doesn't matter. We run a hybrid. None of this stuff right. is even real." So, right. all right, coming up next, we will give you everything you need to know. Uh, I gave you uh, a news story earlier. I don't even know if you've seen this yet, Brock, but I think you'll laugh. More sent this over last night, and I chuckled as soon as I read it. Nor was I surprised by it. It's coming up next, Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on Seven Ten. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. You can't make a declaration yet. You're still only 100 games into the season. But that loss yesterday, it really kind of had that last gasp type of a feel to it. And uh, unfortunately, it may have been the snuffing out afterwards. Could have been the win of the year, at the very least the most surprising. Down 2-1, two to one, two outs in the ninth. Great at bat for single Cal Raleigh. Man on first, two outs. The most unlikely pinch hit home run you will ever see. The next pitch to Juan. Swing a fly ball. It's on its way. It's out to right field and gone! I don't think they were any more stunned in the Twin Cities than they were here in Seattle. Fans all over the region dropping plates, forks, glasses, whatever they had in front of them in absolute surprise. Unfortunately, the excitement, short-lived. Munoz gives up a double that Trammell couldn't have, maybe could have had at the wall. Second double after that scores a run. Mariners get nothing in the ninth. Minnesota walks it off in the, excuse me, Mariners get nothing in the tenth. And then Minnesota walks it off just a, just a waste. Yeah, game number 100, pretty emblematic of this year, of some incredible moments, good moments, good baseball, playing you know, hard, doing, executing, and then just moments of failure, especially situationally when, when it matters. And gosh, it just, I know Scott Service is as frustrated as any of us. Here's the skip after the game. You know, Lopez is out there. We saw him at our place. Uh, you know, he's has ups and downs this year. He's got a good sinker, but, you know, our situational hitting again. You know, try to get that first guy over to third. But, you know, in that situation, that's the middle of our lineup. You know, those guys are the guys that we lean on to come through, and, you know, Lopez made pitches. You know where they rank in that, by the way? Situational hitting? Uh, with a runner on second, just get him to third, right? Just, do you know where they rank in the, in Major League Baseball? On I, the I would assume teams? near the end. Uh, they're, they're, they're the caboose. Yeah. Yeah, they're dead last. 39% of the time. Major League average, 49% of the time. How about, you know, when you get a runner on third, scoring with less than two outs? Yep, they're dead last there. I mean, just situationally. 100 games in, this team is. You know, it's funny. The, the runner on third, less than two outs, drives me nuts. 
the runner on second moving him to third doesn't drive me as crazy. Well, because you've seen what, what happens with the runner on third. Right, exactly. Like That's not a, a win for them necessarily. I want to see those guys last night hitting. I don't want to see Julio sacrificing or just trying to go the other way. That's not to say I'm not happy if he does. And it's a bummer that it went the way it did. But I still want to see him hitting. I don't want to see him like taking himself out in that spot. Yeah. Unfortunately, it once again doesn't work. They waste another good outing for Luis Castillo, who gives up just two in seven innings, struck out nine. He was filthy You've once again. You've been on again. the pottery wheel with him lately. Is he getting frustrated? Because he's not getting any wins. I know. And he's pitched well. He pitched really well yesterday. That's for sure. The standings say that they are alive. They uh, play. Their play over the last week, I think, has been better. But they've just about run out of time here with the deadline looming. We'll talk more about it in about 10 minutes. Teoscar Hernandez, Paul Seawald, a couple of guys who would certainly have some value for other teams right in the thick of it. Here's the second thing you need to know. Seahawks will report tomorrow. and We know at least one player is going to have a huge smile on his face. That is Chenna Nuosu, who played his way into a big-time contract extension after a great first season here in Seattle. Gets three more years and a nice little raise with a deal that could be worth up to $59 million. He's the one known quantity on the edge, although Pete says he likes a rotation out there. Not, not, not as much as they're the same. I think they're more the same than, more they, the same. than, than they are different. They all uh, have good speed. They're all athletic. They're all aggressive. They're all very strong, fit, you know, guys that are flexible enough that they can rush the passer primarily, but they also have the ability to do some some coverage stuff that we can mix in to make us multiple. And th- I see them more similar in, than, than not. I think Derek is, is really a guy that kind of, he captures a lot of um, what Boye has and what Chenna has and, and what Bruce has. Uh, Bruce had last year as he came to us, and uh, uh, DT, you know, you see in him, he's going to fit really well. We want a rotation. I want those guys to be just fast and furious coming off the edge. Does that fit Chenna, fast and furious coming off the edge? Yeah, and, and I think as he talked about Bruce Irvin, you know, in the heyday of Bruce Irvin, last year he did an admirable job coming off the couch and, and filling a role, but in his heyday, and he was a powerful, powerful man. You, you know, you, you couldn't really move him on the edge. You didn't just need Red Bryan at 340 pounds. Bruce was so explosive and so powerful. Uchenna's got a bunch of that. Derek Hall's got a bunch of that. I think Darrow's probably last on that list. Boye can have a bunch of that. And that's what you hear Pete saying, man. Just give me a bunch of very athletic dudes, different guys, uh, just from a strength and speed standpoint. And, and as I said earlier to, to begin the show, Whenever you reward somebody and you do it on the precipice of camp and they walk into that camp today and they take their physical, it's a good hey message. Man, it's, 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 a, it's a great message for this team. Mm. Nine and a half sacks, 66 tackles last year, only 26 years old. And, uh, yeah, this frees up another $5 million in cap space. So if a uh, nose tackle were to become available somewhere, they will at least have enough money to go bring one in. Here's the third thing you need to know. How about this from Maury yesterday, Brock? The Seahawks. Remember we talked all about Tyree Wilson? Guy out of Texas Tech? Tech. Texas yeah, I won't say Texas A&M. Texas Tech. He was mocked to the Seahawks constantly at number five, right? A defensive end, and he's coming off a foot injury, and we kept saying, oh, he's going to have a little private workout. He's not going to do it at the combine. Not going to do it. It's going to be private. It's going to be fine. And Well, that never happened. We asked Matt Miller about it, right? Hey, what's going on with that? Oh, I don't know. Still hasn't happened. Well, guess what? The Raiders took him at seven, and then they put him on the non-football injury list because he still hasn't recovered from that injury. Foot injuries are weird, man. You know, we see them oftentimes with big men in basketball. I know that ended Yao Ming's career. But you start to get fractures, and you put hardware in someone's foot. 
And, and yes, it usually calcifies and strengthens it. You can come back, and there's many guys all across the league that have hardware in their feet. But with a, a young guy like that, and you just don't know, uh, way, way, way too big of unknown. Certainly number five in that top ten. And now the Raiders will have to hope that that young rookie can get himself right. Well, speaking of which, uh, the unknown Russell Wilson trade continues to just be awful for Denver. The fourth round pick that they got back in that deal, they spent on a guy named Aoma Uzurike. Well, now he's been suspended indefinitely yep. for betting on football games in the 2022 season. Crazy. Unreal. Crazy. <laughs> so funny. That's everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. Hey, you know what I meant to ask you about? We're going to dig into the Mariners again here in trade deadline in just a moment. What did you think of the Titans pulling out the old Oilers uniforms for throwbacks this year? Uh, that feels wrong to me, man. I mean, and by while the way, I love the look of them. Love them. The look is tremendous. They're awesome. You know who should wear them? The Texans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I saw someone say, oh, well, up next we'll have the Ravens wear the old Browns uniforms. Yeah, which is just dumb. <laughs> and how I, do you feel about the Oklahoma City Thunder wearing Sonics uniforms? It, it'd be absurd. What are we doing? It would be absurd. Now, I also feel like Houston should have become the Oilers when they came back into the league. Why are they the Texans? Why does it work that way? Why do the Titans get to keep all of that right. trademark stuff? Like, right. that just seems ridiculous. Weird. Really weird. Let the, the Texans is a terrible name. It's a terrible logo. They've been a terrible organization. Just let them be the Oilers again, which is what yeah. they should be. And wear those unbelievable Warren Moon, Earl Campbell, oh, so right? Ernest oh. Givens, Drew Hill. Heywood Jeffries, this year, Alan Pinkett, this this year, man, and again, Alonzo just, Highsmith, maybe. Gosh, we've always wanted the NFL to do. Come on, come on, NFL, change these old rules, these archaic gosh. rules, these silly rules. But somehow, some way, they're like, just wait, just wait. And when they do, and when they get released, and the Seahawks and the Titans and the Buccaneers with their creamsicles, oh, it is going to be awesome. Look, I do oh, love the, the creamsicles. They're, they're all going to be out this year. I love the creamsicles. Yeah, it's going to look so good. But you know what? Tennessee really shouldn't be wearing that. That's just not right. No, Those are the Houston Oilers, not the Tennessee Oilers, and I'm just not buying it. All right. Coming up next, speaking of buying, you buying, you selling. People are very split on the conversation. And Justin might have had the best deal of all, Brock, and you are going to going to hate it next. Oh, great. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. As we get closer to the trade deadline, under a week now to go, uh, the two guys I think most likely to be moved would be Teoscar Hernandez and Paul Sewell. If you're thinking about what this looks like from a Mariner perspective and Jerry telling us last week that selling is not off the table and that this team is not done enough to deserve to be, you know, bought for mm -hmm. and that he might be buying and selling at the same time, et cetera. If you're thinking on the selling side of it, it's Teo and it's Seawald with Teo. Unfortunately, it just hasn't worked the way you hoped. They didn't give up a lot to get him. It was just a reliever in Swanson, but, you know, it just hasn't worked the way you wanted it to. I think there had been some thought maybe you offer him a qualifying offer at the end of the year, which means either you give him $20 million on a one-year deal or he walks and you get uh, some compensation back in terms mm -hmm. of a draft pick. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that they'd be willing to eat a $20 million salary for a guy that hasn't performed the way you'd want him to. So if you could just get the equivalent of an Eric Swanson back for him, don't you think that would probably be worth it? Yeah. Yeah, I think we've seen over these hundred games or so why Houston moved on from Teo and why Toronto moved on. And at the time, we probably should have thought Swanson, 
you know, like uh, maybe that was a little bit telling. We, we thought that was just an amazing deal. And Swanson's been good for Toronto. He's been in yeah. many of their leverage spots. We've good. seen him. Yeah, he's been good. But uh, I think you've seen why those organizations and why ultimately the Mariners would not pay $20 million plus for, for Teo. There's just the strikeout rate, the swing discipline, the outfield, all of it's just it's not that it's worthy all, of a twenty million dollar. Good. Uh, it's probably not worthy of twenty million dollars, and so no. I actually still kind of like the player. I like Teo, and I I think he's still a good major league baseball player. But I don't know if he's a twenty million dollar player at this stage in his career. So okay, the other being Seawald, and I think there'd be a pretty robust market for him. I think any contender would want him. Realistically, you're probably selling pretty high. He's thirty three years old. He's got one more year of arbitration after this one before free agency. It would bum me out because I've really loved watching him. I love talking to him. I love his story. But you just have so many pressing needs. And if you could fill one of those for a team that, that needs him, yeah. it'd be pretty hard for me to say, no, you can't give up a Pulsey Wald at this yeah, stage. Yeah, that's amazing. He's 33, and yeah. he still has not become a free agent. I mean, <laughs> we we see the free he agents. He didn't hit the major leagues until I know. 28. I, I mean, know. I know. And he kind of floundered <laughs> for the first few years. So, yeah. It is a long, long road for some of these guys. You know, the Julio Rodriguez stories are few and far between. Do you know how much money Paul Seawald's made in his career? Off the top of your head, how much money do you think Paul Seawald has made in his career? This is his fifth year. I'm going to say this is his third year of being the best reliever on the Mariners. Right. How much money has he made in his career? I'm going to say he's made five million. A little more than that. It's like yeah. six, six and a half million. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And by the way, that's not nothing. I mean, make over a million dollars a year on average. I would absolutely sign up for that tomorrow. But in the world of Major League Baseball, it's a little more than one third of what Teo is going to make for this year. Right. I mean, that just, just it feels absolutely ridiculous. So yes. um, I, I, I think that he's probably the most likely of anybody to get dealt at the deadline just because of the value he could bring back. But Justin brought up a, a scenario in my little poll yesterday, Brock, that I thought would make you a little bit frustrated, but I think there's a good argument to be made, and that is to do nothing at the deadline. Mm. You know how much I generally hate this. I think you should be active at deadlines. This is one of your opportunities to to change your roster, and we're going to talk to Jason Churchill in an hour, and I know he believes strongly that this is one of those opportunities. But the argument in favor of doing nothing would be this. You're not going to get so much back for either Teo or Seawald that you absolutely have to trade them because it's a chance to, you know, completely reshape your roster. And you're certainly not worthy of going out and buying rentals. That's a a Mm non-starter. You also have this incredibly generous schedule over the course of the next month or so, which could put you in position to actually be in it for a wild card spot, even though that sounds ludicrous this morning coming off their second straight brutal loss. And if you do trade Teo, you don't have another right fielder. And if you do trade Seawald, you're starting to run a little thin in your bullpen for this year. Mm -hmm. And as bad as the Chicago's and Royals and some of the other teams you play in that month are, you might have a little problem with them. If you don't have some of the guns that you need right now, Mm -hmm. maybe you just do nothing. And continue to let this thing play its way out. You're 500. It's not where you want to be. But maybe, you know, you do catch some fire at some point. And not selling gives these guys enough confidence to kind of hit it big at the end of the year. Well, two two things come to mind. One of them, I know you're going to have how you're going to answer it. The other one, it may make you think about that a little bit further. But the first one is, do you think about your fan base and the message that sends your fan base? You can't. Not if you're Jerry DePoto. 
You can't. You can't afford to do that. In a year where you're, you have come out, both Jerry and even above you, John Stanton, have said this is a World Series contender, and you're going to continue to run this group out, and they have proven to be a 500 ball club. That message to your fan base, if you do nothing, would be... That we still believe there's a chance this team works out and we couldn't get enough back in order to make deals happen in the selling market. It wasn't worth it. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm not saying it's what I would do. Quite frankly, I don't think it is. I still think there are scenarios and where you buy small or try to reshape your roster. I mean, like, I think there's so many possibilities open to Jerry. Everything from buying to selling to both. But I also believe that this is one possibility that isn't as bad as it sounds. Mm. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's the preferred route. I didn't vote for it in my poll. Justin did. And I I just respect the choice. And I think it's an interesting argument. I just, yeah, I think think it's a possibility, Brock. I I, I don't think it's as bad as it sounds. Okay. I I would say the other thing and the other point I was going to make is Carlos Santana who was just a ho-hum, nothing move last year, and yet you saw the impact that he had, both from a leadership perspective, mm-hmm. a veteran perspective, just a, just a guy that cost you almost nothing and came in and became just a difference maker for you. And, and if I would think you'd have to at least give this group something, someone. Well, if there's a guy nature. like that, I, I'm sure they would be willing to do it. I mean, nobody would say no to a give up nothing kind of a move. I just I haven't seen a player like that that has become available over the course of this year playing a position that they need. Right. I mean, I just I haven't seen it. Justin, speak. You who want to do nothing, you speak now. <laughs> He actually doesn't want to speak either. <laughs> okay, fine. Don't even speak then. <laughs> it's I, I. I keep thinking about not doing long term da- long term potential long term damage with the few prospects you have left to marginally improve in the short term when the teams ahead of you aren't necessarily faltering right now. It'd yeah. be different. Like if I looked ahead and saw like okay that team is riddled with nine more injuries and have lost nine of ten. And the Mariners were already really within striking distance, then maybe I'd feel different. But Teo has come on in the last couple. Like if I, and if Teo had been May and June Teo, like I said earlier, then yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, walk away. Like, yeah. you see, just get what you can. But I also don't want to do any, like, sell on some players who are having some career bad. The thing is, if Teo pitchers. had been May and June Teo, then he wouldn't be worth anything. Now he might actually be worth something. That, that's, that's totally fair. I'm, I mean, like, those things per- cut both ways. Exactly. Yep. Yes, that is a counterpoint. But I, I could argue both sides of this. I, I think Justin makes a really good point, and Brock, I think that you make good points. Not on the what do you tell your fans, because I think that is irrelevant to to any general manager. They should not be thinking that way. Mm-hmm. But I do think that you know, going out and trying to improve this group, this is one of your chances to do it. And if you decide to punt on that, I think that's that's a well, hard one. I think Churchill is going to probably hammer on this a little more in 50 minutes or so when Jason joins us. And that is, man, this acquisition phase. I mean, this this is the, this is the phase. This is playing to Jerry's relational strength and Justin. And this is what you do. And you have all of these relationships all over the league to try to find win wins for both sides. And and if if it's not going to be in the big free agency mode where impact free agents just especially offensively don't mm-hmm. want to come here. Yeah, this is one of your chances. I mean, th- this is going to – how else from a transactional standpoint? I, I mean, the development piece of these young players certainly over the years, but we've seen that. That track record has not been tremendous for young offensive players. It has been tremendous for pitchers, but not been tremendous for young offensive players. So if you can't do it on the free agent side, if the record's not been tremendous on the on the development of young guys – then this is the other cog you have in the wheel of transaction. And if you don't do anything in this phase, then what? (laughs) 
then what happens to first base and second base and right field and an off season and that you know it's just yeah it's you a, get some it's a real conundrum needs, which is which is ultimately I think what keeps me from going down the do nothing route. I think that first and third, second, right. I mean, like, yeah, you're talking about four positions that you've got major question marks about moving forward. And if you've got a chance to solidify any of those here at the deadline, you probably have to take it. If those opportunities aren't available, doing nothing isn't death. I guess that's maybe the I'm talking myself into this point. If those aren't available. If there is no future right fielder, future first baseman, future second baseman, et cetera, who's available, okay, I don't want them to make a move just for the sake of making a move. I mean, okay. like, if it's not available, doing nothing and hoping to get better in the second half isn't the end of the world. While I understand you manage like a fan, you, you transact like a fan, you're going to become a fan, while I understand that completely, what about what no move would say to your clubhouse? Do you think that that would be a positive that could That's finally a be question. a kick in the butt? I mean, you could probably argue both of these because we've heard I mean, it, it's players not selling, right? I mean, right now Paul Seawald probably expects to be on another team, right? Mm-hmm. So that might actually tell the clubhouse, "Hey, we believe enough in this group that we're not selling." We believe that you guys are better than you've been so far, so we're not going to sell and just build for next year. So I think you could make an argument that it's that it's helpful. It's not as good as buying, obviously. Yeah. Buying has always been a signal of, hey, we believe in you and we think there's more in there and we're going to try to help you out. Yep. And, you know, if they were to buy and not spend a lot, mm-hmm. I guess that would be okay. It's just hard for me to imagine. They're not going to get a Jock Peterson Right? I mean, you're not going to get a two-month rental. Mm-hmm. We got Ruben Amaro Jr. on TV saying they're going to trade for Cody Bellinger. Like, I'm sorry. I don't see that. He said Suarez and uh, Hancock, Hancock. For, for Bellinger. It's like, well, Bellinger could walk at the end of the year. That would be really hard for me to imagine them doing. Yeah. And it's not that it's a bad trade for the right team. It would be an upgrade. But I don't see the Mariners being in a position to make a move like that. Mm-hmm. What does he play in the field? He's played a little bit of outfield, a little, little, little bit of first base, a little he bit of He can play third. He can play he first, can play third, third, outfield. Yeah. Pretty pretty versatile dude. Interesting. And he's a good player, by the way. I like Bellinger. I think he can play third anyway. Maybe I'm confusing him with somebody else. Mm-hmm. I might be confusing him with Chris Bryant. But I think he can. he's athletic enough to play just about anywhere. Yeah. I know he's played mostly first and outfield. Well, these are the conversations they're having in that building. These are the conversations that Jerry and Justin are having privately. These are the conversations you're having with the rest of the league. I will say that, that, that once again, this phase of it, just as you look to build and, and how are we going to build and, and grow this organization, it is just different. It's different with three wild card spots, too. I mean, this trade deadline used to be your favorite day. There used to be a pretty clear mm-hmm. line in the in the sand that said, I'm a buyer, I'm a seller. It's still kind of my favorite day because of these choices are really interesting for all these teams. As bad as the Mariners have played, they're only 500. They're not, they're not like a, you know, St. 350 Lewis. team. They're, next they're still Padres, a 500 seven team. teams under 500. I know. They're, they're not like that. Yeah. They're a 500 team. That stinks. It's not where you want to be. You would like this team right now to be five or six games over 500. Mm-hmm. That's about where I feel like they should be. Okay, they're not there. But they're not five or six games under 500 either. And I think that's what Jerry's been pretty good about kind of saying. And I, I know it's yeah. annoying when he says it. People want him to come out and say, we stink. We're awful. I'm the worst. That's what they want because that's what it feels like watching this team every night. Yeah. Jerry looks at it and says, we're 500. He says <laughs> they've got an average offense in a lot of metrics. Whether that's true or not, I mean, he he certainly seems to believe it and can show some numbers that he says prove it. 
All right. Well, if they need, he knows they've got to be better than that. I don't want to talk myself into this. It sound ridiculous. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard when you're a 500 team and you're stuck right in the middle of this fence, right? I mean, it's just, it, it, you say, hey, they're not you a 500 team. It's 500 not just team. that it's hard being 500, Brock. It's hard being 500 with an expectation that you were going to be a lot better than it's that. It's hard being 500 with elite pitching that has given you that through 100 games this year. So you can try to spin the narrative any way you want and tell me that you're average offensively. You're not because you're elite pitching and really good there. And if you were average offensively, you would be where we wanted you to be preseason. So I, I just can't swallow that as I was just not being able to swallow I don't know, man. There, there, there is an argument to be made in baseball that they have had elite pitching, average offense, and bad luck. There's an argument to be made. Baseball is like that. It is it is frustrating and nobody wants to hear it. And Jerry's not going to come out here and say that because he sounds ridiculous doing it, nor should he. But there's an argument to be made that that's all it is. They've been roughly average, maybe slightly below average offensively, elite pitching wise. And in the biggest moments, they have faltered. That's not being a below average offense. That's not getting it done at the right times. And unfortunately, my eyes, man, my eyes tell me a I different know. story. My eyes see batting average. My eyes see strikeouts. My eyes see situational hitting. My eyes see so many struggles, so many chasing, so much struggle. Well, yeah, and unfortunately, when you say all those things, I get stuck on the side of saying, well, it could be positive. <laughs> and for the first time in Seattle sports history, being on the side of the positive is the wrong spot to be. <laughs> Only I could find myself in that spot. Well, let's do a little Blue 88. <laughs> This is Brock and Sock's Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Sock. You always carve out the popular position and leave me for whatever is left. No, you do that to yourself, Michael. Oh, maybe I do. <laughs> Maybe I do. All right. Question number one, Blue 88. Brock, is this the best quarterback crew the Pac-12 has ever had? Yes. This came from who? The Lumber Guru? Oh, yeah. Twitter was good last night. I had a a long flight circling almost the airport for a long time. I was like, you know what? I haven't done this in a while. So let me just open up the old Twitter before it becomes X or whatever it's going to become next. And I can't figure it out. Let me, at least while I know how to operate it now, see if we got some good football questions. And man, there were some great ones, some real funny ones too, but some great ones. And yeah, I can't remember a year this deep. There has been a year with a bunch of top end talent. I mean, the year that I played in there with Achilles Smith and Cade McNown and Ryan Leaf. I mean, you had a lot of top 10 picks uh, kind of sprinkled over the course of a couple years. And yours truly kind of stumbled and bumbled his way to the third round. But there was there was certainly some some very talented future NFL guys in my era. And there have been for a couple decades, but not like not like this. Uh, th- this class has some excellent college players that fit beautifully into their scheme, like Bo Nix, that, that projects as a probably a second or third round NFL guy right now. Penix probably the same. Then you have Caleb Williams. It's the next Patrick Mahomes. But then it's the depth of it. It's Cam Rising in Utah, who I absolutely love, who's been nothing but a winner and a two-time conference champ. Jane Delora, who's got tremendous charisma and playmaking ability at Arizona. Uh, you know, obviously, Dion thinks the world of his son. We're going to get to see just how good Shadur Sanders is and whether he's worthy of a $250,000 Mercedes Benz. He's driving around Boulder. But depth-wise, yeah, it is the deepest it's, it's ever been in my lifetime. 
250 grand? Yeah, 250,000. Sounds pretty good. I could use a $250,000 Mercedes. Why doesn't somebody give me one of those? Must be because of those unpopular opinions, unfortunately. Question number two. This one comes from Sean Blah Blah. Sean Blah 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 Blah. Yes, who says, most open competitive position battle to watch at training camp for the Seahawks this year is? Oh, the interior defensive line. Yeah, there, there's no question. Just watching those guys, those guys compete and battle. I mean, the secondary is going to be phenomenal. I, I, I don't think Charbonnet is going to give an inch to Ken Walker. It is. We talked about this yesterday, man. There is a ton of them. Probably, I should reframe that. The interior of the line of scrimmage, both from guard to guard and just kind of de-tackle rotation and what all of that is going to look like. And how much of this 3-4 versus 4-3 you're legitimately going to play? And are you going to really lean into a fourth-round nose tackle out of Mississippi State who's being asked to do something that he didn't even do that much as a bulldog in Starkville? So I would say the interior of that, the offensive and defensive line, will be the most competitive. But if you're sitting up there on the berm, it's also going to be the most challenging to try to evaluate. Yeah. You know, especially without pads on. It is so difficult. Uh, so that comes down to those three preseason games will be hypercritical. And I think it will come down to the to the free agent market as well. And a bunch of uh, veterans that are still out there kind of waiting to pick and choose and see what will be the best landing spot for them. All right. Speaking of which, question number three. Seahawks opened up some cap room yesterday when they uh, did the signing for uh, Chenna Nuoso, the extension. Mm-hmm. Is Shelby Harris a fit back after that? Uh, I don't think so. I, I, I like Shelby, and he certainly flashed at times. Some, some playmaking ability, but he feels redundant to Jaron and Dre. Like, that would feel like a, a lot of those two guys. And you went out and you targeted Dre Jones for a reason. He's a much, much younger Shelby Harris and, and a more athletic Shelby Harris. You brought in Jaron Reed, who is of similar ilk, but I think even still younger than Shelby, but, but a similar kind of skill set. No, I think if you're going to make a move here in this month of, of, of August – once you figure out what you have, what you don't have, once the rest of the league figures out what they don't have and what they do have on their rosters, and you see those trades inevitably happen, which happen every year with these Seahawks near the end of training camp, mm. I think it will be for a different body type than Shelby Harris. A bigger, thicker, plugger, stronger, and, and hopefully somebody that's that's done it at some point in their career at a, at a fairly high level. Mm. All right, that is today's Blue 88. Isn't it crazy? That Shelby Harris, Jaron Reed, Cam Young, etc., aren't big enough. Like, what what world are we living in? Right? It's the same world in which guys who throw ninety four don't throw hard enough. But like, mm-hmm. those guys aren't big enough. It's refri- crazy. I know it's true. But it's crazy. Harry was three hundred pounds. He'd be in a fullback today. Eighty five. He was an anomaly. He was. Oh my gosh! They put him at fullback in the Super Bowl, and you watched the fridge. He was like the first known three hundred pounder in the league. Right. And now he wouldn't be drafted probably i mean he's just kind of a short squatty body that yeah there's there's thousands of those now littered throughout college football and into the nfl i mean it's just yeah you're you're right it's it's morphed and can it morph even more i don't know man can you are we going to see in 20 years 400 pounders i mean why wouldn't we that's crazy right i mean i'm sure if you were to ask people years ago about seeing 300 pounders they would have said that's ridiculous there's no way all these guys are i was i was talking to damon about this and a few other people uh over the the week plus running around town there and i I think and some of this is just based on on looking at these guys that are now in their 50s and 60s mike some of these old peers of mine Mm -hmm. and teammates of mine that whose bodies are just 
man, they're just broken and they're aged. I and, and I got into a, a bit of a conversation with one of my pals who's in in the NFL. I said, I think those guys in the '80s and '90s took the biggest brunt. I know the '60s and '70s and the turf and the gear was horrendous and and the playing conditions were tough and certainly some of the steroids came in throughout the '70s, but the speed and the size right. and the mass and the violence wasn't there like it was in the 80s and 90s you know as you transition from the refrigerator parries into more and more and more of them is the guys got bigger and faster and stronger and there weren't rules well, before put in they place. changed the rules yes there weren't rules put in place there yeah. weren't two-a-day restrictions there weren't contact restrictions training camp was full on tomorrow training camp will look like an ota that is mandated by the league shorts and t-shirts my first training camp practice in cheney washington in 1999 oklahoma uh, full to the ground tackle in the first practice, like oh my gosh, you know, and, and starting to see some of the veterans, like oh man, yeah, ta- I got to tap out of this one, man. Yeah, calf got a little tight right <laughs> little there. Tight. Like I'm going full on tackle. Now some of that was Mike Holmgren wanting to figure out what he had as far as a team and the veteran guys and everything else. But man, this game has changed in so many ways. Well, uh, we are the home of the Seahawks and your only home for training camp coverage. It starts tomorrow. Broadcasting live from the sidelines, taking you behind the scenes as the Seahawks get ready for the 23 campaign. Don't miss a, even a minute with the Seattle Sports app, which of course you can get at seattlesports.com. All right, coming up next, Brock, uh, this will be the strangest, most off-the-wall, most intriguing Seahawk we've ever done. Ever. I promise you, in all of the years of I doing I had to go most, back and look and see if you made a typo I did not. Night. It is correct. It is true. I had to look him up. I did, Me too. <laughs> and yet, when I tell you who this is, you may actually say it's not just intriguing, it's somewhat concerning. We'll do it next on Brock and Salk.